What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 86 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk and sponsored by Stereo Brand Records. I am your host slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined once again by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? I'm very well, man. I'm very well. How are you? Not many left, dude, for the end of the year. I think we've probably got ever closer. maybe two more episodes left this calendar year before we record the Album of the Year show, and that's daunting, isn't it? that task of uh, of whittling this insane, insane year of music down to what we're going to do, 20 this year albums and discussing full 10. That's a daunting task, isn't it? If if we do a podcast and any one of the next four or five albums that we review after this one are good, I'm just going to stop doing podcasts out of like a tantrum because yeah. I'm sick of it, man. I'm sick yeah. of thinking I've got like eight to 10 sorted. They are, oh, this band that we're going to review have just released like a nine out of 10. I'm like, for fuck's sake, man. Like, really? Like, again with this? Like, I'm just like rooting for albums to be terrible. <laughs> no, like, just like, oh, God, just be awful. So I don't have to think about ranking it. It's um, it's an enviable position to be in. Uh, we're fortunate for the the genre that we're in now that, that so many of these albums are just terrific. Jim and I was talking to you about Shadow of Intent on sat- Saturday night when you were around mine before we went out. And I was like, and they're releasing an album in January. And you were like, oh my God, I thought you were going to say like December or something. <laughs> you know, not another one. No, I can't. I was like legit, I was like legit stressed. Especially for an album came out December the 17th. They were like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're supposed to get this in. Doesn't count now. i tell you what, we haven't yet, but I, sh- I need to listen to the book from my Valentine, new album, Me really. Too. Because apparently it's like, not a return to form per se, but like one of, their best records they've ever done, which oh, oh yeah, let's let's call it what it is. Not exactly a great. It be their second best album of all time, wouldn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I need to go back. I need to go and listen Sorry, to that. Well, again, I'm worried about it being really good because if it's really good, I'm gonna have to think about include. <laughs> I'm gonna have to think about including it in my list, and I just haven't got room. So I've got room for it. it's crazy. Mate, honestly, it would be the most 2021 thing if Bully for Valentine released an album that you're like, is this better than Brand of Sacrifice? Like, it would be insane. Can you imagine a world where you're genuinely having those thought processes? Like, what is going on? Knowing Bully for Valentine the way I do, even a very good album of theirs, I don't think I'd be asking myself that question. (laughs) Hearing the noises come out of the Brand of Sacrifice album, um, I can attest to that too. Uh, we are a fortnightly rock and metal podcast sponsored by Star Brain Records. We're available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, basically wherever you get your podcast, we will be there. The best way to support us is by subscribing. And just a little caveat here. I'd like to thank everyone that listened to and gave us a response to and gave us a subscription based off of the back of our Mastodon Hushed and Grim album review episode. That's been our most successful episode we've ever done and uh, really heartwarming for me and Sam to see like the flood of positivity, the flood of subscriptions, the flood of likes and comments coming off the back of that episode. Uh, it was very, very gratifying for me and Sam. We say all the time that we... We don't do this for the numbers. We do it because we love doing it and we're too grieve our best friends that would have these conversations anyway. We might as well just record them. But that was still really, really cool to see. So thank you, everyone uh, who supported us so far and continues to do so. And if this is the first time you've listened to us, the best way to support us is by subscribing on YouTube or liking or following, depending on whichever podcast service you use. You can follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast. Me and Sam both were on that account. And on this week's show, we've got a bit of news and album reviews come from Silent Planet's Ivory Descent and Exodus's Persona Non Grata. We're going to kick things off with a new straight away, Sam, with an unfortunate story, but one I wanted to cover regardless. 
Uh, RIP to Malcolm Dome. For those of you who are listening and are wondering who exactly Malcolm Dome is, I think it's fair to say, Sam, that one of the most important music journalists that rock and metal has ever had the courtesy of welcoming. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, Every all-time metal documentary I've ever watched in my life has had him on it. And he has served to be um, a real documentation of not just metal in general, but specifically that early portion <laughs> from the 70s through to the mid-80s and the new wave of British heavy metal. And he's a real, he was, sorry, a real encyclopedia of, of the burgeoning metal scene. And his enthusiasm and passion for the genre um, lived with him his entire life and he became a real bastion and banner Um banner for that it's it's an it's an incredibly sad loss and also a reminder now of, of really how long heavy metal has been in our lives that some mm. of the some of the people that were the very forefront of it are sadly um sadly leaving us credited with coming up with coining the name really of thrash metal uh, malcolm dome has been pretty much especially in that early 80s to early to mid-2000s period, really like the face of, of metal journalism. In fact, his first book was called Encyclopedia Metallica. It was published in 1981. Fancy that? It's good, isn't it, that? <laughs> and he is, um, you know, died at the age of 66, was tragic, still seems incredibly young, uh, really, really awful loss. Really, for Malcolm Down. Unlike when we talk about the loss of a specific musician, really, I feel like because Malcolm Down was like a journalist, the best thing you could do was just go and read some of some of his work and the, the way that he wrote about uh, metal and alternative music in those early periods, and just how important he was for just getting the word out there about thrash metal, about what was happening in California at the time in the mid eighties. A really, really tremendous loss, uh, incredibly unfortunate. I just wanted to um, kind of share our thoughts there on Malcolm because. Without him, would we even... I'm not saying without him, metal wouldn't have existed, but without him, metal journalism might look completely different. I'm not sure whether someone of his... I'm not sure whether a journalist of his size, without him, metal journalism would have been given the same kind of credit and credence. So who knows if me and you were sitting in our respective chairs even doing this podcast at the moment if it wasn't for Malcolm Dome. So I just wanted to share our, our thoughts and and um, and condolences to Malcolm Dome's uh, family and friends yeah absolutely um it's just a shame when you lose great journalists and things like that and it's just another just another, another big loss like you know i i, sh- I echo your thoughts condolences to him and his family and thoughts with him and we thank him for his his service in the name of metal man i'm gonna move on sam uh, mike shinoda has dismissed the possibility of a hologram tour this was during his interview on the Tuna on Toast podcast. Uh, he was asked about the possibility, again, of like a, Linky, a Linkin Park continuing because there was reports that Linkin Park had kind of been kind of flying some creativity around each other during uh, COVID-19 lockdown. Mike Chanel's response was, for me, I'm like, okay, physically, I could still tour. That part's good. Hopefully that doesn't change anytime soon. But now is not the time. We don't have the focus on it. We don't have the math worked out. And I don't mean that by financial math. I mean that like emotional and creative math. When he was asked specifically about a hologram tour, he responded negative a million percent. I hate the idea. 
of doing a Linkin Park hologram thing. It's awful. I've got to say, Sam, I completely echo his sentiments. I, I don't think I'd like to see anything less than a Linkin Park. I don't want to see a hologram of Chester Bennington on a Linkin Park tour. I just, I think, I think that would really, really not be a good look at all. Yeah, I can, I can understand the resistance to it. I really, really can. Um, I think that, I think Mike Schneider is is very, very, very well aware of the effect that a Chester, even temporary replacement, <laughs> would yeah. have on a fan base um, for Linkin Park, and I think he's very well aware that it'd be such a a delicate process that it would have to be handled in a what I assume would be a Linkin Park Plus way, um, in the same way that Queen did with um, Adam Lambert and all that sort of stuff and various other sort of iterations of the post-Freddie Mercury world. I believe that, that Chester probably holds the same level of regard within the alternative music community, really, at the time of his death, especially. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I understand the resistance to it. It feels doesn't feel a very Linkin Park thing to want to do. Though, from the other perspective, I could see an argument for it where they actually go out and say, look, we can never replace Chester, so this is the closest we can get to it. And there's videos or maybe there's not a hologram per se, but they just have, you know, Chester's voice playing live versions of it and there's no vocalist. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't oppose that either. But really, I... Linkin Park, as obviously, obviously we know it will never be the same again, and trying to recreate that is pointless on the outside looking in. So I, I, whatever they decide to do, if they decide to do some some shows with another vocalist and things like that, fine. But it's not like you can find a guy that can mimic that range uh, lying around. So I think there's no there's no perfect solution to this. So I can understand the resistance to something that seems that would look on the face of it to. A, a large subsection of fans is kind of like corny or gimmicky. I, I can understand that. I feel like Linkin Park's musical future lies not inside of live music and touring, but if they were going to do another album, I feel like its best chance to be the greatest success that it could be would be to feature a multitude of vocalists. That's what do you think? Like if, yeah, you know, Mike, Mike Schneider has has written 12 songs and gets 12 different vocalists to do vocals for, and then he could cater the song to the vocalist that he's writing the song for. So the song that Jonathan Davis does vocals for sounds completely different to the one that Ollie Sykes does vocals for. What do you think? Yeah, I like it. I, I like it. That's a one-off show. That is with 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 vocalists like that. Yeah, um, but I would absolutely be okay with it in terms of like something they need to do regularly. They could have like a collection of different people doing a collection of different stuff, but not probably with the same gravitas that you mentioned. And that would be a studio only production, wouldn't it? Something like yeah. that. Um, there's nothing stopping Mike Shinoda doing going out and saying, you know, it's Mike Shinoda. And then he plays Linkin Park songs that he sings himself, like he's done at times after Chester died. He, he performed in the end and none at Reading Fest, I believe. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing stopping him doing that. It's 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 not like they're they're just as much his as they are or were Chester's. Um, so they can take he can take in any direction that he um that he likes, that he likes really. And I think that 
that based on the fact that they haven't really even considered coming out for the last four years indicates to me that they have no intention of making what would be perceived to be a PR misstep, but they want to do yeah. everything in the best interest of the mm. Chester Bennington memory. So I have every confidence that whatever they decide to do will be, you know, really the best thing for the band to still do something, but also not to, to tread on any toes or disrespect any past memories. Definitely. And in the digital age, Mike Schneider sends an email, gets the artist to confirm, sends a track over, the artist does the vocal, sends it back to Mike. But, you know, it could it could be done. And I I really struggle to think that and some artists would probably say, no, creative, this is this doesn't do it for me. But I'd like to think that if Mike Schneider reached out to 20 artists, 15 would say, yeah, at the very least. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like I just think if if Linkin Park were ever going to do anything ever again, I think that their best way, my you know ideal way of them going to bed, it would be album that with 12, 12 songs on with 12 different vocalists or maybe eight, eight different vocalists. Some vocalists do two or three songs. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. I think so too. And and that's that's perfectly fine and perfectly okay with me because if Mike Chanel has got a hand in the writing process, it will sound like Linkin Park. It will have that feel. There's a lot of his solo stuff sounding very similar to. And that would be, that's perfectly workable. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, I know that they're not going to make a bad decision. So I'm okay with whatever they eventually decide with moving forward. It's a shame to end the news on something of this matter Sam when we when covering the Mastodon album a couple of weeks ago was as amazing and successful for us as it was but uh, Brent Hines Mastodon uh, lead guitarist has come under fire uh, for a homophobic remark uh, he made it on uh, a podcast with Hate Breeds Jamie Jasta called The Jasta Show uh, Brent Hines was asked if Mastodon had done all the tours that they wanted to do or if they still had like a bucket list and uh, Brent Hines responded, no, I did a lot of tours I didn't want to do, though, like Disturbed and all that mayhem, stupid BS. you got to effing open up for Disturbed. you got to play to people that like Disturbed. He went on to say that the Mayhem Festival tour in general was just a bunch of effing drunk Americans and that they're receptive to anything, I imagine. But more specifically, he was, he came under fire for using a homophobic descriptor homophobic remark when talking about kind of evaluating disturbed as a band um as we discuss this sam my, my problem with this isn't necessarily that brent hines is coming out and and saying that and, and like you know knocking disturbed you know whether i like disturbed or not is a, is irrelevant my problem isn't that isn't that he's being you know he's being somewhat of a like a musical elitist here isn't he like saying that you know i did some tours i didn't want to do you know the people that go to main festival just receptive to anything i imagine just a bunch of effing drunk americans uh, that you know that's his opinion you know he's entitled to it whether you agree with that or not obviously the use of the homophobic slur is a massive issue and i've got to say sam that the response to it hasn't been brilliant when we you know we, we look at the response that Mastodon have put out their response was in the response to an Instagram user that had said how that had made the Instagram user feel Mastodon's, Mastodon's Instagram account responded. This really bums me out. I'm very sorry we hurt your feelings or anyone else's. That is never our intention. We want 
uh, L- LGBTQ fans to feel safe listening to our music and coming to see us live. I think the interviewer might have caught Brent on a bad day. Sorry for upsetting you or anybody else. We appreciate you and our fans very much. Now, as we speak, there hasn't been a specific apology in like proper like note form from Mastodon or from Brent Hines, whether that's going to happen, whether they're just, whether Brent Hines is, is figuring out the best thing to say, etc. We don't know that yet, but Sam, why? my problem with this is that the same problem I had with Vicky Hungerford, when she made the comment about putting people who use pronouns in their email straight in the bin, and oh, then trying and, and then trying to cover it, and then re- the, re- the response to that was, you know, I didn't mean to offend anyone. Well, well you did mean to offend someone because you specifically in, in Vicky Hungerford's case, she specifically went out of her way to part, to announce it on Twitter and Facebook that she will, if you use pronouns in your email, she will put them in the bin. So she yeah. did, she did mean it didn't to offend. Slip out. You uploaded it twice. Yeah, literally. So now in Brent Hine, in Brent Hine's case, maybe there is more of an argument that it slipped out. It's comfortable in the conversation and he's, he's used a remark that he shouldn't have used but the thing is i just think it would be so much more impactful if brent hines came out and was like right i made a mistake i said this you should i'll use a homophobic slur you shouldn't it was really wrong of me to do that because and i i understand that and i'm gonna do my i'm gonna do my best to be a better person and to be a better ally and to not use that language again I'm really sorry. It was a massive mistake. It was homophobic of me, and I'm sorry. I made a massive, massive, massive judgment error. Now, I'm not saying that would mean that he should be forgiven by anyone that's offended, because as a straight white man, who am I to tell you how you should feel about a homophobic slur? But I, I just feel like that would that would look better. At the minute, Sam, this, this looks kind of messy. What do you think? I think that he... I agree with you that he... Brent Hyde needs to come out and say... I insinuated that being gay was a negative thing by comparing it to music that I disliked. And yeah. by extension, I implied that if you were gay, I would think that would be a problem by the fact that I associated that with a band that I dislike. Um, being hom- being homosexual is not a problem at all. And I regret my actions incredibly. And I isolated a group of people that no doubt, some of whom come to come to Mastodon gigs and I'd hate the idea that they now have changed their opinion because of my ignorance or, or my inability to to use a different form of criticism. Because if you just said that that was shit, that'd be fine. Um, that's your opinion. It's a musical preference. But you obviously can't linguistically imply that being gay is somehow an issue by, you know, the, the connotations of what you're saying are just completely wrong. And also um, the way that they apologised was, I'm really sorry, you're hurt. Please come to our gigs, um, which is like when I used to get into like arguments with my ex-girlfriend, I used to say something like, just because you're offended doesn't mean what I said was offensive as a way to get out of like doing the dishes or something. That's not um, really an apology. Um, that's not really how that you approach annoying or irritating someone, especially um, when you do it in this way, um, especially when you know the, the sensitivity of the topic that you've broached on. On top of that, even even though I don't mind disturbing I'm a massive fan of them. He did come across like a bit of a tool in the tone that he was taking. He didn't come across really, really well. Came on a sort of patronising way um, where he was actually not only judging the people that are in different bands, which is fine, but also the people that happen to be at festivals of which he's been paid to play at. 
Um, he just obviously, like you say, he's comfortable, he's entitled to his opinion. Mastered on a massive metal band, he can turn around and say, um, these are the shows that I didn't want to play and all that sort of stuff. That's absolutely fine. But you are right. There is a way to come out and deal with that and handle it. And I I, I just want to say that I, I again I, I don't I don't think Brett Hines is homophobic. I don't. I just think um we are rapidly breaking out of the word gay as a negative word. Yeah. yeah. Which for a very long time it wasn't. It was acceptable to use it, unfortunately, socially. Um to to the to the to the point where it wouldn't be really challenged until very very recently, where luckily people of LGD, LGBTQ T plus have now found a voice in society, and that's that's a wonderful thing that people should be held accountable for their language. But the way that they handled this wasn't very good. Also, an Instagram comment is not a statement. No, no, that is not a response. Um, and there's nothing stopping him releasing a video where he just says, "Look, this is what I said. This is what I meant." I'm really, really sorry. Um, it won't happen again. Uh, it came out ignorantly, and I knew that I was I was offending certain people. And I also knew what I said was offensive. And despite the fact that I didn't actually intend to isolate people of that sexuality, I did it unwittingly. Um, apologies to, to to all the people that were offended and, and people everywhere, um, but not disturbed. You're still whack, and that's that's fine. You could even, you know what I mean. He could still double down on his opinion. That's not really the issue here. Um, and he never has to play Mayhem Festival if he if he wants to. But if if I if like I say, I'm, I'm similar to you. I'm a straight white male, which a British male as well. Which you know historically we've never even suffered any any issues ever. It's the most privileged race of people on the on the yeah. planet. Yeah. Um. Ever in the course yeah. of history. So I've got nothing nothing that I can offer on how this would make me feel. Um. But even even. Even knowing now, it's just it's still irritating, it's still insulting on on behalf of people of that orientation, and it's something that I was disappointed because I respect him greatly, and I think his work on his last record was phenomenal. And you expect better of people that hold that kind of public persona of which he is part of. They need to do better, hmm. but online they need they need to do better, and then they should they should fix it really before it becomes a problem because. This is off. This has snowballed in the past, like that. Like it's the sort of thing that, like, if they get nominated for a Grammy for Hushton Grimm, someone will tell the Grammy Association about this, and then they won't give him the Grammy. Mm. Like it will make a it will make a difference. I, whether they care about that or not, but it the will it will make a difference at some point. Let's move on to album reviews, Sam. We will start with Silent Planet's Ivory Descent. It is out on November twelfth via UNFD or Unified Records. It's the band's fourth album and the follow-up to 2018's When the End Began. Like It should be mentioned, actually, that the debut album, The Night God Slept, had a Redux version that was released last year. Silent Planet are one of those bands I've got sort of a peripheral knowledge of. I think they've always been, I've always been waiting to hear something of theirs that really blows me away. And until that point, I've just considered them a good, solid metalcore band. So going into this, I'm going in with a baseline knowledge and not much else and kind of hoping that there's a performance here that draws the, the big fan in them out of me. And I've got to say, Sam, that we've listened to a few, not as much metalcore this year 
uh, as previous years. I think that's that was purposefully done by us. We, I, did, I, I feel like in previous years we were kind of almost like pigeonholing ourselves as like the the metalcore reviewing podcast. But we've also been really fortunate with the variety of stuff we've been sent. That's also true. Yes, a big shout, shout out to our PRs. By the way, big shout out to our PRs who, without them, we literally wouldn't be able to do this. So I've we've both made a decision to stay away where possible from uh, metalcore so much this year. But the metal call that we have listened to, I think almost every single review of it, Sam, we've gone in and been like, yeah, they do that riff where they've chewed it down really low and they do the down, down, and they do that for the album. And there's some parts that are really good. And then there are some parts where you're just like, are oh, you doing that riff again? Now, what I've got to say about this album is that riff turns up, but I feel like there is an intelligent and necessary amounts of variety here i mean i'm not talking shadow of intent levels of variety but there is just enough that keeps this album honestly consistently fresh for me what do you think yeah it's um it's it's good not great for for, for me um i like this in parts and um there were some moments that are really really terrific that feel like the in hearts wake north lane ep um, that we we loved very very much. That had refuge on. There's there's some moments that are like really hard hitting like that with some actual groove, and some tracks in here are, are, are really really good, really really good. Um, the the opener into translate the night is fantastic. So it's yeah. trilogy. The breakdown at the end of that is terrific. There's a breakdown at the end of. Uh, I want to make sure I spell this correctly or pronounce it correctly. Panopticon. Panopticon. Um, which yeah. I think is which I think is absolutely terrific. I think the closer iridescent is the is the classic sort of metalcore um sort of slow down track if I remember rightly. I think that's one where they sort of take the take a foot off the pedal for a little bit. Um and that that works, that works really, really well for me. Um but yeah, I, I still am um I said I'm cursed with with metalcore inertia a little bit. Um there are moments of this though, at its peak on the melodic sections where I do actually hear mid-level architects, like sort of all our gods have abandoned a style like rough clean vocal mixes and things like that into like sort of like single chord breakdowns which is always a way to get me interested but also i prefer like you know the originals and that's fine it's hard to compete with architects when you follow in a similar trope that they do i mean no one can do that better in my opinion but overall i think some really good riffs on here but oh, I feel like I like yourself. I'm repeating myself when I when I say the same point I made a few months ago. At its best, it sounds like bands that are just slightly better than this. Like at its best, it sounds a bit like early North Lane, and it sounds a little bit like early Alpha Wolf, and it sounds a little bit like early Architects, and a little bit like In Hearts Wake. But I just prefer all of those bands, and I don't think that there's a standout single on here that will extend them into that into that midst. Um, in the way that the previous bands definitely had those sort of singles by this point in their career. Um, by no means do I think this is bad at all. This is very solid. This is very serviceable. Um, this is a, a seven out of ten metalcore record. And I've said this ad nauseum. If you're the if you're the guy that me and you were in 2017, where we don't listen to metalcore every day of the week or don't listen to metalcore with a regularity or review it as much as we did. And we just listen to it on a peripheral aspect where the riffs are cool and we'll enjoy the breakdowns and things like that. This is something that goes on a gym playlist or a car car or travel playlist, something like that. And you can sort of bump along without thinking too much of it. Um, but I don't think it, it progresses beyond that. I think this is good. I think that's has potential and you can, you can tell that this band are young 
because I don't think they found any real identity yet that's, that's sort of gone away from the traditional blueprint. And I think that is both perfectly acceptable, but also one of the reasons why I don't think that they're gonna they're separating themselves on this on this record. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of positives though. I even say obviously the musicianship is always terrific. Um, there are some really 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 terrific breakdowns here, and the vocalist has got some real range. You know he's got he's got he's got that classic sort of Polaris shift at times between the very melodic and the very heavy and the guttural, and seems to be able to flick between those very very easy. Um, but my concern is that you mentioned that we we're at like album number three by this point. Um, at this point, then you need to start stepping up a little bit. Think about where Wage War were. Think about where Polaris were. Um, think about where Northlane were. And I, and I don't think this is quite at that point. But at the same time, I don't think it is bad by the, by the same um, by the same token. Like I said, good, but not great. Slight caveat. If we heard a better metalcore album since Polaris is in 2019, which um, the name has escaped me, the one with the guy on the beach with the burning. Oh, it's going to annoy me. The death of me. That's it. Um, have we have we heard a better metalcore album since then? Hmm. Or maybe more specifically, uh, would are you give in the fire itself by Finnehas metalcore album of the year? Yeah, I think Finhouse is better than this. Yeah, yeah, I'd, t- I'd take Finhouse over this. You do as well, don't you? Yeah, Chris? yeah, 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 yeah. I'd take Finhouse over this. Yeah, um, but I was really hurt for a second. No, no, Please, no. But but I would like to say, I think I think I'm a bigger fan of this than you. Not dramatically so. I think this is more for you than me. Quite possibly, yes. I think so. Quite, quite possibly, yes. I I I like on this album how I've mentioned that riff which every metalcore band in the world seems to do. But I think... Sugar just fuming right now. Yeah, seriously. I think Silent Planet use it better than most, and they use it more sporadically than most as well. If we just look at Translate the Night, you kind of mentioned it. The way it opens, the rhythm riff that opens the album from the back of 112, the instrumental opener, is, is like awesome. It's very, very Northline-esque. And one thing I would say about this album is when when Garrett Russell and Thomas Fre- Freckleton come in for these huge choruses, it's very Devil Wears Prada-esque, but Devil Wears yeah. Prada at their best. So Devil, Devil, I'm talking late 2000s, early 2010s, Devil Wears Prada right at their peak. And, and that is that is quite an accomplishment because when Devil Wears Prada were at the peak, they were a really, really great band. You mentioned Trilogy. Trilogy's a single that's been out for a while. Um, I think it might be out for like almost like a year now, Trilogy. So I was already familiar with that app, just, just absurd breakdown. The breakdown that happens at the end of Trilogy is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, highlight of the album, I think. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Uh, that it's always read the static, they always read the static in my head. Boom, it's something else. Like yeah. that. I'd imagine live, that is a moment. But clever, clever writing from Silent Planet. Second Son comes in directly after Trilogy and it immediately brings a new tempo in. And I think after a duo like Translate the Night and Trilogy, I was immediately worrying. 
oh, please don't just let me face that riff over and over again for 11 songs. And, and Second Son comes in right at the right time, great pacing to the record, just to change up the tempo. And there's a gorgeous chorus from Thomas Freckleton. So it's a really elegant, beautiful track this is. Even the spoken word kind of middle eight section is uh, almost kind of luminous in how it's performed. You mentioned Panopticon. That comes straight back out, roaring back into the metalcore tempo. I really liked Alive as a House Fire because most tracks on the album start like a wildfire, no pun intended. But this is really, really something else. There's this wonderful like technical riff that just flies out the traps and then gets manipulated into like different forms and, and gets like Frankenstein into different pieces. And it, it comes up every now and again throughout the track. There's a huge chorus the guitar melodies are gorgeous and thomas does this um dual vocal layer underneath underneath garrett's the lead vocalist which is great uh, terminal again clever use of variety it's got this more kind of serene opening again this isn't like you know i'm talking about variety here and you know i don't want people to go in expecting this to be like shadow of intent variety but really sam there is enough of a blend of style sounds and attitudes and tempos on this album that i just think it's more of an engaging listen as a result just automatically off the back of that i agree i agree it's um it's not where you listen to it and you're immediately sort of ticking off the the, the metalcore tropes immediately and you sort of I'm not, you're not hoping for the album to end quickly because you've heard the highlights and the best bits and things like that. That is not what's happening. This is an album, you're right, of, of a decent amount of variety and intensity and enough talent and, and big choruses enough to, to carry it sort of through. And I think it's going to be, I think it's a good metalcore album that will be well received by people in that community. Um, in terms of it being sort of anything beyond that, in terms of anything special, not necessarily, but that is. That is perfectly that is perfectly okay for for a band at, at the stage that they're at. Um, this is just this is just good for me, um, and I think there's a lot there's a lot to it that I that I enjoyed from an instrumentation standpoint. There's some massive, massive, massive breakdowns sort of littered throughout that don't outstay their welcome, and that don't aren't, aren't repeated and things like that. And there's some really really intricate guitar work at times. Some 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 real sort of fast paced riffs and things which I really really enjoy the lightest of, of sort of introduction of electronics as well. And a yeah. few sort of synths and bits like that, um, that sort of keep it um, outside of the traditional sort of two guitarists, one bass sort of lineup that most metal bands tend to opt for. And that, that gives them a little bit of scope for the future records as well. Uh, I think that they're going to be a really, really, really bright band maybe over the next couple of albums. Um, and and a, and a and a band of real consistency that that sort of mid mid tier festival shows or things like that if the, if the moment strikes and they continue in that sort of way, um, I just think that, that they need to kick it into another gear if they're going to keep up with the contemporaries, you know, especially because metalcore at the top is crowded, man. Like even with mm-hmm. like bands like of of mice and men and Alpha Wolf and things like that, when you combine that with uh, Finnahas and some of the other bands that we're talking about, even. Even even just if you if you keep it to sort of traditional UK and US powerhouses, uh, bands like Currents and Counterparts and stuff like that, like it's you know you've got to do a lot to sort of rise to rise to the top. Um, and these and, and bands are falling off, and 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 then re- recreating themselves sort of every couple of years. It seems. Um, if you look at Wage War early this year as well. We're sort of trying to muscle their way back into this crowd. It's tough. It's tough, and I think that actually uh, Metalcore we've been well treated. 
um, to some of the some of the best releases have, have have happened a few years ago, and it's hard to sort of reclaim that. Sort of going like metalcore four or five years ago went through a sort of patch that's akin to what hardcore is going through right now, mm. um, where Deathcore, we sort of yeah. saw a, yeah, and a, just a plethora of just genre defining releases that we're now looking back and thinking, well, I heard that, and this isn't as good as that, and that that's a victim. You can be a victim by that comparison. So like if you try to write a thrash album in like 1991, so well, you know, Rust in Peace and, and Master of Puppets and Random Blood have already happened, so this is going to be a difficult sell. So it's that, it's kind of, it kind of feels like that a little bit. We've been, we've been a victim, we're a victim by circumstances, but I think this is really, really good. I just, I think that's, that's where it is. I think that's all right as well. Just a kind of little point from what you were talking about about the idea of me and you discovering this in 2017. You know how we and you both follow death metal Twitter quite closely. Death metal Twitter yes. just got explodes every Friday. <laughs> With like a new death, a new, a new death metal record that's landed. Sam, I can say with great confidence, the metalcore Twitter will explode on, on Friday when this comes out with, with this yeah. album. And, yeah. and, and you know what, Sam, Maybe that's all that, not to say you weren't saying this, but just to, just to put the idea out there. Maybe that's all they need, man. Like the, the genre tropes they go for are going to be eaten up and then some by the fans of the genre they are playing to. What else do you need, man? That's that's it, isn't it? That they, is that not music? That's it, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's what they're going for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and the the social media attention and the the, the requisite uh, following will get them, you know, attention and 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 will help them out moving forward and get them on decent shows and things like that. And yeah, that that is that is it. I mean, no one is more concerned about a band's legacy than me and you, <laughs> know, um, in, yeah. in, including including every band member <laughs> in that yeah. band. Yeah. Um. Like we sit here every sort of three months, being like, "Well, what does it mean for who they are?" And they're just like, "Man, I just want to feed my kids." Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I play one tour, dude. Just wait, wait, wait it's, not, it's not that deep. <laughs> oh, this is like, is is me being like, "Is it the fifty sixth or fifty seventh best metalcore album of the decade?" And they're like, "Bro, yeah. like, I just want to pay my mortgage, man." Like, what? Yeah. No one, no one really gives as much of a toss about this as we do, which is probably yeah. why we are we're doing the podcast, and they're actually like, you know out there playing playing riffs and yeah meeting girls and stuff and and that's 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 fine <laughs> that's fine but we do care about this and that's why we always we're always going to talk about it but yeah um does it it does it doesn't matter if silent plan uh, silent plan not silent planet's getting the mix up with terrible pop punk bands if silent planet want to get out there and they want to and they open for of mice and men off the back of this job done cool yep. yeah do you know what I mean yeah. cool and I think they absolutely could Based oh, yeah. on this, by the way, they yeah. also open for Polaris if they wanted to. Yeah. And I think that would be a really good gig that you talked me into going to. Talk you into that gig, behave, mate. You'd be there without me having to ask you. <laughs> talk you into it. Uh, y- yeah, probably. Probably be me that suggests it as well. <laughs> yeah, um, you tell me, mate, you first. Like, yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> oh, metal cool band. We, we thought we were the 57th best ever like, three months ago. So it's only 20 quid. Let's buy a t-shirt. And and that's and that that's fine. Yeah, that that's, is, that's music, man. That's music. That, you know what? Yeah, you play some riffs and you get paid for it, and that that's blessed as well. They're not. I, no one's keeping. No, no one's staying up at night because I don't think it's as good as Devil Wears Prada in 2011, and yeah. neither should members of Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> yeah. By the way. 
Well, that's not really a thing at all. So yeah, uh, good for them. Good album. I hope it. I hope it does the thing. Um, just quickly, last thing from me. Uh, I want to mention "Till We Have Faces" because I think it might be the best song on the album, apart from "Trilogy," because it's got this unusual techno opening. Uh, this co- the chorus is kind of built around the clean vocal line of "How How Can I Survive." It sounds huge, and it's just like really delightfully anthemic. It's got this cinematic bring back at the end, and it's stunning. I really adore that song. But I'm with you. I think the I would go slightly above good. I think the I think this is yeah for the for the field that Silent Planet are fighting in. I think this is really good. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's not going to you know. It's not going to blow completely blow anyone away. But I think it's a really really good record, and I, I would absolutely welcome them supporting insert metalcore band, or maybe even them headlining a small local local. A pub or bar around and I'd want to go to it because I think I, I think they're evidently a really good band and this is a really good album yeah I, I can't argue with that assertion let's close off the show Sam we're going to finish with Exodus Persona Non Grata it's out on November 19th via Nuclear Blast Records it's the band's 11th album and the follow up to 2014's Blood In Blood Out you know Sam as I was listening to this album I went in with the idea of, I really love thrash metal. But then I thought to myself, do I? And one second, (laughs) (laughs) I questioned in my own taste. Because... You were at the top of a building or something? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, wait, wait. What I mean mean is, I say I love thrash metal, but because of how late I got into thrash metal, I love... Metallica, they're pretty much, you know, by almost their entire discography. Slayer, almost their entire discography. I love Rusting Peace and Peace Cells by Megadeth. Then there's this massive, massive drop off, like from 1991 outside of Metallica and Slayer, all the way to modern day. And I love Peritrip, I love Wraith, and I love Enforced. So thinking of it like that, I'm thinking. Am I, can I say I love thrash metal and then in the same breath be like, but this is only the second ever Exodus album I've ever, I've ever listened to in full. The other Exodus album I've listened to in full was actually their last album, Blood In, Blood Out, recommended to me by a friend of the show, Jim Hall. Shout out, Jim, if you're listening. Um, so I thought to myself, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I can't say that I love like thrash metal as, an, as, a, as a whole entity. And more so, I love, me- I love Metallica, I love Slayer, I love Peace Cells, I love Rust in Peace and I love Wraith, Pepper Trip and Enforced. Whether that matters or not when it comes to reviewing this album, I don't know, Sam, but I feel like I haven't really got a, a, a great schemata of knowledge on Exodus in terms of record performance and, and what I'm really comparing this to. I, I really did enjoy Blood In, Blood Out that came out in 2014 when, again, friend of the show, Jim Hall, kind of forced me to listen to it. I really enjoyed that, but I haven't really got like a grand matrix that I can look back at and, and really compare this to. Or, or m- maybe you're not like a huge Exodus guy. In fact, I think we've only really talked about them inflating to each other. Are you comparing this to greats of Exodus' back catalogue? Are you aware of the greats of Exodus' back catalogue in terms of quality? Um, Bonded by Blood is their biggest album. That was um, 85, wasn't it, I think? That's right, yeah. yeah. That's their that's their big, big, big release, their big fan favourite. It is good. It's a really good thrash album. Um, but there's a reason 
with all due respect to Exodus, there's a reason why there's not a big five, you know, yeah, or a big six, including them. And them and Testament are like, you know, in that tier below, both decent bands, but you listen to them, you're like, oh, I get it. Um, that's I understand why there's a, a bit of a leap, and again, no, no offense, there's some great riffs on that group, as, as, as there are a lot, but there's also a lot of a lot of bands that are like that, that are like really big if you're massively into that genre. Like, uh, speaking of Jim, I actually saw him share a video of Creator. Do you know the band Creator? Yeah, yeah. With, with a K. And I listened to that and that, that that's that's pretty good. But like I said, they're like just a, they're a relatively speaking big band within a specific type of genre for a specific type of audience. You know, a big niche band. And, and I feel like Exodus are kind of like that as well. Like if you're, if you're like a, a metal fan in general, um, you need to be a thrash metal band really to enjoy Exodus. I think you've been a little bit harsh yourself. I think if you've heard the two best thrash metal bands ever and the two best albums of the third best thrash metal band ever, you're entitled to know what a great thrash metal album sounds like. In the same way that um, I've only watched one series of films that have Godfathers in, um, but I'd know a bad, I know a bad one by comparison. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. Um, it's so I, I don't think that ta- I don't think that takes you out of, of of criticism really. You know, you know what the absolute best is, and, and maybe you've not had to sway through the mediocre thrash albums like um, some of your contemporaries in the in the music video business, uh, but not including myself, by the way, because I've also heard Master of Puppets. Then thought, you know what, that's it for me. Yeah. Um, and like you know, Rainy Blood and Hella Waits and stuff like this is never there's never going to be better than this. That's okay. Um. So that that's fine, um, and also what I want to say about about this is is this is this is not Master of Puppets or Rainy Blood, and I'm not going to be comparing it. I'm not going to compare anything ever to Master of Puppets or Rainy Blood from an intricacy music standpoint or even a thrash metal standpoint. Um, but in and of itself, this is a great thrash metal album. Oh my right, mate, this is great. Th- this is so much fun to listen to. Th- this Isn't is a it? really really great record. The opening thirty seconds of this oh. album. <laughs> Oh, so good. absolutely amazing I mean I love Gary Holt I thought Gary Holt did a great job in Slayer you know no no one can replace Jeff Hanneman but Gary Holt oh, did a, a very very serviceable job attempting to do so I know that Gary Holt was really only on one Slayer album Repentless but or was he actually I can't I, actually you know what he may not have been on Repentless I'm not 100% sure I'm going to take that I'm going to take that coming back just in case I'm wrong anyway uh, in terms of the live setting that I, always, that I saw Gary Halting several times he was always always excellent and I've, he really carried like the mantle of being like guitarist in Slayer I thought really well but it's speci- speaking specifically about this record Persona, Persona Non Grata the, the title track man the opening 30 seconds is kind of technical fury the, the, the opening riff is just aggression inducing there's this I adore the bass line that leads to the riff build from Gary Holt as well it's got a bit more of a chugging sound on the second verse and this album really Sam I've got like and this is going to sound like a, a criticism I swear it's not but really this album is a collection of thumping rhythm riffs and stunning solos in the middle eight and instrumentals yes that, that that is really the bow, the, the real the backbone of this album, and Steve Souza just adds in these kind of vocal rasps. I think we we briefly mentioned this album to each other on a Saturday night, and you were like, "The vocals are thrash, are thrash vocals," but 
you know, and that was that was kind of telling. And I, I don't think Steve Sue is a bad vocalist, but thrash metal vocals are thrash metal vocals, aren't they? Yeah, they're guitarists that have the best voice in the band. Yeah, and that's that, that's 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 usually how it works, with the exception of, of um, the late great Riley Gale. I've got to say, I, I loved Riley Gale as as a thrash metal vocalist. Uh, yeah, I and, think and, I, and, and and Tom Araya, who's yeah, just, yeah. Just a, a complete just one of one. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you the question uh, at the moment. I'm gonna t- turn the tables. Right, okay. Um, you got you you're not allowed to think about it. You just got to make make a quick decision. Okay. Rank these 2021 albums at the gates: Cannibal Corpse, Exodus, Cradle of Filth, and Carcass. Carcass, um, I would put at the bottom of the pile. That's still a great record. Cradle of the Filth. Uh, Exodus at the gates. Cannibal Corpse. Wow, Cannibal Corpse, top dog. Dude, I love that, mate. I love that album. Violence Unimagined, me and you, were lo- I was so into that album, just the, the absolute ferocity of it, oh, I loved it so much. But do you know what, dude, the fact that we can have that conversation, if you told me at yeah. the start of the year, if you told me in January that in November you'll be having that conversation, I said, no way, there's no way those bands would all put out great records and it just completely squashes the argument that I used to have about bands should just pack it in after 15 years. Uh, I completely take that back now, this year has proved that that is an entirely, entirely, incorrect statement for me to make but it is also like really really surprising at the same time that's okay for you to say like if if we were watching the premier league and michael owen and teddy sheringham were all of a sudden the best strikers in the league yeah, right yeah, now yeah like what are you talking about michael owen's 45 this yeah, isn't yeah. this isn't humanly possible and then i'd be like why do you see peter schmeichel in goal still you know like, what <laughs> <laughs> stuart pierce like, is still right back and all Robbie back. Savage just cut his hair and actually make it <laughs> make it across the pitch for the first time since 1995. But um, yeah, it's it's there's not there's not really a parallel where so many of these quote unquote vintage metal acts um come out and produce not just good albums for like their fans, uh, good albums. Period. So many albums. I've listened to that I used to be like, oh no, please be not terrible. <laughs> yeah. And because then I'd have to say nasty things about bands I used to respect. And then like I I, I I now get to say nice things about bands I still do. And that that's much, much, much easier for me. Um, it's actually changed my attitude as a reviewer. Um right. this okay. year has 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 made me much more open-minded to the experienced metal acts because of the the quality content like i was looking forward to listening to this exodus album more than the silent planet record because mm. i thought we might go five for five here that then another legendary metal act might do a great album mm. and they've got a fantastic history and i might listen to it and be like yeah th- these are brilliant i'm now i'm now a, i'm gonna go back and listen to the other other bits of Exodus that I've missed and stuff like that. And you know what, Chris, this is brilliant. I'm going to go back and listen to the other bits yeah. of Exodus that I've missed. Do you know what, Sam? This same. Is, this is sick. Yeah. I'm going, to, I'm going to do the same thing that I did for Carcass and the Crowd of the Filth because this album is great. It's really, it, really great. It really, really is. And this is this is thrash at its gleeful best at times um, because it is, like you say, it's so enjoyable. It's like, it's like, like you sp- so we speed up turnstile. It's got that bouncy yeah. sort of riff sort of feel to it where you're just nodding along and things like that. And everything is terrific. I know you spoke about the the, the title track to open, but I want to do as well. Yeah. Um, because it's class. 
it's absolutely fantastic. That repetitive riff, the classic cymbal chokes of thrash, like the moment I hear that, the beautiful, beautiful groove riff right over the top within that classic thrash, um, uh, that classic thrash, classic thrash sound. And then I get I get unironic, perfectly suitable group vocals, which are yeah. only thrash appears to be able to conjure. Yeah. So every, time I, every time I hear group vocals in another song, I'm like, oh, what is this? And 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 every time, <laughs> and when I hear it in a thrash album, I'm like, oh, what is this? And it's 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 absolutely fucking marvelous it's the art they're the only it's the only genre where it works think about it you hear group vocals you're either in 90s hip-hop land or 80s thrash metal and yeah. everything else sounds like blazing squad rip-offs and it's tin yeah. and this is this is great and i'm really 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 into it um like and then it goes into the um to, to madness which is fantastic prescribing horror has got that stereo prescribing horror yeah Dark, clean sound, like minor chords picked out, that classic um, um, sort of horror style subject matter, both in the riff work and everything else afterwards, complete with fade out with baby, baby scream in the distance, like I see an Adam at Beth or something. Well into that. Um, there's a couple of album tracks here, like Elitist, I'm, I'm, I'm ambivalent on, same with um, Beatings to Improve Morale. Um, but there's some really, really good th- good songs at the, at, the, at, the, at the second half, like Death and Dying and Clickbait are terrific. The drum intro on Death and Clickbait is, is just unreal. Yeah. And there's four or five riffs consecutively on Lunatic Liar Lord, which, by the way, up there for top title of the year as well, by the way, Lunatic Liar Lord. Imagine shouting that out to somebody. Um, it's just un- unbelievable. What an insult. Um, it's just fantastic. Just riff after riff after riff. Pfizer Division is another classic uh, thrash tune and Antiseed is perfectly listenable. A bit stompy in mid-tempo, which I think they did maybe one song too many in that that style because I think it loses a little bit of intensity. But overall, this is so good. This is so good. And I, I it's nice to have it back because I used to be so embittered when you send me to listen to a thrash album because I'd be like, but I've already heard Unjustice for All, Chris. Like, where else are we going from here? Mm. Um, but this is really, really good. And not not since the late great Power Trip, um, vocalist Riley Holmes was, was still with us. Riley Gale. Uh, Riley Gale, sorry. Um, Riley Gale was with us. I don't know why I added Holmes. Like, Sherlock Holmes, where, where has that come from? Um, <laughs> no idea. Um, but yeah, not not since not since we had that last great power trick record have I ever felt this way about a flash album where I'm just like actually this doesn't out this is where it's welcome within four and a half minutes and, and I, I don't think that it's lost its its um its compelling and engaging nature. I actually think this is really really good and still somehow really fresh and fun in in 2021. Um, yeah, big thumbs up for this album, hundred percent. I'm surprised you didn't find. A real connection to the Beatles will continue because I feel that was the one mom. I don't feel like this album throws back to 80s thrash metal at all, to its credit. It doesn't try and, and oh, sound no. like it doesn't sound like try and sound like it's 1986. But the Beatles will continue is one of the moments where it is a real throwback to 80s thrash metal. And it's, oh, I love everything about it. that song, the production, the speed of Gary and Lee's riffs, the style and speed of Sousa's vocals. It's one of the shortest tracks of Exorcist's career and it hits like a slab of iron. It's one of, it's just this brilliant, accelerating thrash metal song. I loved as well, Clickbait. Just the the con the concept around the writing of the song, obviously about the manipulation of the press. The, 
the furious and also kind of modern sound, in our opinion, just just to, just to break away from that there quickly. This record, to my astonishment, is sounds really modern, Sam. Yeah, it, it, that's this what I thought like too. This doesn't sound like it, I'm going to show you the Wraith record um, that came out a few week, a few weeks ago. Now, Wraith is like black and speed, thrash. It doesn't sound the same as this. But in terms of how modern Wraith sound, this doesn't sound that far off. Like, this doesn't sound like a band that came out in 1985 at all. No, I, I completely agree. There's a real youth and vigour and fervour. And there's just, you know what, man, like, even it's well mixed and well produced given now, I know, but it's always worth mentioning that the producers just do a terrific job with this type of stuff. Um, but man, riffs are universal, and these these riffs are at times like righteous. These are so good. Uh, it's just fantastic, fantastic from start from start to finish. I agree. There's there's where well, I don't know where it's come from. Um, because you're right, they have released recent albums. This isn't like a barnstorming return from a 15-year hiatus or anything like that. You know, um, there's not like a narrative that persists with this. I just think they're a really good band with some really good musicians. And then now, again, another another classic motif of the, of, of the of the noise podcast. They know what they're good at. They know what they're about. And they know who they're aiming it at. And they're really good at producing these type of songs. And they don't outstretch their welcome. They don't do anything that, that, that they're not capable of doing or whatever that is or something that they don't want to do. And there's, I find there's a real integrity to that. Um, they they know their strengths and their strengths are in the guitar work and the punching rhythms and stuff. And they they do a nice job of getting us getting the listener away from the material with like I was saying to you um, at, at yours again at the weekend, like Tom Phil's bass lines, give me that. Then back into riffs or mm. a, a, every yeah. every time that's gonna work that's gonna work on me like without a shadow of a doubt it's 100 success right beyonce could do it and i'd be like absolutely off my tits like i'd be so pleased um it just d- works every time and they do a wonderful job of getting away from the riff and then taking you back to it and the riffs are good enough where that coming back as a, as a regular motif is not sort of dull or repetitive it's actually fresh and inventive it feels like by contrast and i think that's a credit to them because um if bondy by blood wasn't their first album i don't believe but at at the very least we're talking about at least a 35 year career um if i sound this good speaking in 35 years then that would be utterly utterly phenomenal um so if a band like this can be um as fresh and open then then yeah it gives gives me great hope for metal in general like how great is it where there's not like a battle between old and shit versus new and really good? Like there's like a real like the good the old bands are good as well. The veteran bands are great, and you know you could see Exodus at a festival now, and it wouldn't be like you know four tired blokes that you're waiting to to get out the way so architects can come on or something. Do you know what I mean? Like this is this is really really good. I think it's great for the genre, great for the reputation of metal, and great for the image of metal as well. Like yeah. I, I think it, was, it was me and you having this conversation before. Where like if you didn't follow metal, you would assume metal looked like Iron Maiden all the time, mm. and that's your perception of what that genre is. And it's so much more than blokes in their fifties. Um, and but it's nice that when it when people do think these blokes in their fifties, as long as it's these ones, um, we're we're in pretty good hands. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you've made a really good point there. I love how the youth and the experience of the genre has really coalesced this year, and. and formed this really really great place 
for metal and in, in this case here, thrash metal to be in. I want to quickly mention uh, the years of death and dying because I love the main, the tempo to the main riff and Jack Gibson's bass lines are used really well. And there's a real intelligent use of melody to accent the outro as well on that song. And then finally from me, the fires of division, you know, I love audible silence in my song, Sam. And when they, when they use that audible silence as a pause in the intro before the main riff kicks in, he's absolutely brilliant. And what a solo from Gary Holt as well. Truly, his solo on that song is absolutely incredible. Uh, this is a this is a great, great thrash, thrash metal record. I was absolutely like convinced at the start of the year there will be no thrash metal record that comes near Enforced Kill Grid. Um, Under the Chains, Under the Chains by Wraith was really, really great. Not quite Enforced for me, not quite as good, but really great. And this this record here comfortably at least the third best thrash metal record I've heard this year, maybe even the second best, uh, which I was not expecting to say uh, as uh, when we, when we first got sent it and we were planning out what we were going to review on this week's episode. So huge win. I'm going to go back and listen through Exodus's uh, discography that probably, you know, for an Exodus fan listening, that probably sounds crazy that I haven't done that yet, considering I claim to love thrash metal, but I tell you what, better late than never. And this has absolutely given me the impetus to go back and do so. It's a great thrash metal record. Completely agreed, mate. I think it's a testament to both thrash metal's ability to survive and also Exodus's ability to still appeal in the in the same sort of way. It's 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 it's, it's a real achievement. So we're going to leave off uh, episode 86 of the Noise Podcast. We are going to be back in two weeks' time. I tell you what, Sam, we're getting to that part of the year now where the schedule is starting to kind of thin and we may be looking at an episode in two weeks where we go back and listen to things that we may have missed. I'm going to look at the schedule that's coming out and uh, make a decision from there. At the very least, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate that. Remember to subscribe on YouTube or like slash follow, depending on whichever service you are using. It's the best way to support us. Follow me and Sam on Twitter at Noise Podcast if I run that account. And we're going to be back in two weeks' time. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye.